0: Hi, I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm Matt.
0: Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Time for part three of our 1979 Vampire Deep Dive, which was supposed to be part two, but I got excited, forgot I made a schedule and did love it first bite. But now we're doing Nosferatu the Vampire, released- From
1: 1979.
0: Of course, in 1979, which is a 1979 reboot, remake, reboot of the uh, F.W. Murnau. Nosferatu, the original, the first vampire movie, which we actually started our podcast with one year ago. Uh, At the time, we debated whether or not it was the best vampire movie ever made, because that's the claims that everybody made about it. And apparently, Werner Herzog, who directed Nosferatu, the vampire with a Y, said that it is the best film ever made in Germany. Not his, but the other one. The original. The original, and so this is like it's interesting because you know we talk about oh reboots, uh. There's no original ideas, whatever. Well, here's a here's a reboot, a 40 year old reboot that is about, year old about to be rebooted again because they're making another Nosferatu with Bill Scarsgard, So we're gonna get to see iteration three, I guess. And are
1: you sure those are the only iterations? No. I bet there have been a lot more.
0: Oh, uh, I'm sure there have. I mean, we just had the, the one that came out that was like the Voyage of the Demeter, where he was very oh, yeah. Nosferatu-like. Last,
1: last Voyage.
0: And of course, we have the Nosferatu clan in Vampire the Masquerade. So uh, definitely there's an effect on the culture overall. And this is our third adaptation of Dracula that we're covering in a row that were all released in the same year. And I have to say that the Dracula myth is not growing on me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but maybe we should start with the pros. Uh, for one, this is Werner Herzog at his most Werner Herzog-ish. I would say he—the drama, the dialogue, the lighting, the angst, the angst, the long pensive thoughts. The long, pensive scenes that leave you alone with your own thoughts to interpret whatever it is that's happening.
1: And rambling philosophical dialogue.
0: Yeah. Can I just say that Lucy never has a throwaway line? Ever. All of her lines are like, what is the one she says where he's like, oh, he's going to die. And she's like, yes, even the river flows without knowing its course. (laughs) She goes on this like, (laughs) yes, we will all die, of course. Oh, my God. It's so much and so lovely. And it was right on that edge of, oh, that was profound, but also so profoundly deepity that we kind of chuckled a little. It was really interesting. But I have to say that we open on mummies, and these are real mummies. Yeah,
1: uh, we were commenting on the poses and facial expressions, and and then wow, the prop guy really, really went all out on these.
0: Yeah, these
1: prop mummies. I, I was
0: like, oh look, mummified labia. That's really wow. Okay, somebody had to model those, and then I looked it up. Like, oh no.
1: No, real.
0: Them, Them some real mummies. And they are from... Real
1: mummified human remains. Yes,
0: thank you. We no longer call them mummies. Thank you for the correction, because mummies implies an object. And they are not objects, they are people. So they are mummified human remains. But they are from the Museo de los Momias, or the Mummy Museum in the old colonial city of Guanajuato, I may have bartered that, but Guanajuato, which is about 200 miles northwest of Mexico City. So these are actually mummies from Mexico. And apparently, uh, Mr. Herzog removed them from their cases and arranged them for the shots. And they go roughly from birth to old age as he's panning across them. So we start with the children and then we go through slightly older mummies until we get to the... Yes, when we were
1: watching this, it it hung up on like the first frame.
0: Yeah, I had to stare at these desiccated baby mummified human remains. And (laughs) and
1: when I realized, oh, this is Werner Herzog, (laughs) I said, oh, sad beige carcasses for (laughs) sad Sad beige vampires. vampires.
0: many sad based jokes were made oh no or it's allegorical that's what I kept repeating Oh, it is allegorical lots of terrible German accents from us not from in the movie he actually filmed both an English and a German version of this often filming the same scene twice and I gather the guy who plays Renfield whose laugh is actually what got him the part
1: Oh, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, Werner Herzog saw him in a, oh, French, that was, in a French show that was and part was of like, the that is the laugh I need for Renfield, and hired him based on his laugh. And I gather in the German version, his laugh is a little bit less grating, pr- pronounced, oh, really? one might okay. say, because after a while, you're like, please take the, I don't want to see this man ever again, because his laugh is so, I get, which is the point, right? It sounds right. diabolical. It sounds... Right,
1: he's supposed to be insane Yeah And he definitely conveys that
0: Yeah I think this brings up an interesting question of reboot versus remake Because there are quite a few scenes in this movie that are shot for shot Right, they're shot for
1: shot remake of the original
0: This is not a reimagining Except maybe in dialogue Because of course the first one didn't have dialogue But this is not a reimagining This is a straight lift reshoot Every once in a while we get a little bit of creative license, but for the most part, um, we change the names back to Dracula, Lucy, Mina, because by the time uh, Werner makes this movie, the rights on the book have lapsed. Right. In fact,
1: that's what he was waiting for.
0: Right. He started the day after the rights lapsed. And so he was able to go back to using the original names, which he still swapped Lucy and Mina because it's Lucy Harker, should be Mina Harker. But, I mean, whatever. I mean, nobody had access to the book. Wait, everybody had access to the book. Whatever. It doesn't matter. So he swapped them. Actually, I read a piece of trivia that said they're swapped in the 1992 one, too. But that's not true. I don't know. Correct me if I'm I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that...
1: Is this the Gary Oldman?
0: Yeah. I'm trying to remember her name. Why did her name just Winona Ryder? Thank you. Winona Ryder is Mina. And she's engaged to Keanu Reeves. Jonathan. No, he's just Keanu Reeves, (laughs) dressed up (laughs) in period clothing.
1: Keanu Harker.
0: Keanu Harker. Uh, I was pretty sure that was Mina. And then Lucy is, of course, the lady who dies first. And who gets the cool Gary Oldman bestiality scene. I don't know. That's a whole other podcast. So anyway, he changed the names back. And the lady who plays Lucy, every time she was on screen, I was like, wow, she is extremely striking. And her name is Isabel Adjani. And she's just very... I don't know. She's like so 70s looking. (laughs) But I don't know how to describe that. There's like a a thin-faced, long, straight-haired beauty quality that they were looking for for leading ladies around the 1970s. And she has that, but she's also like, timelessly pretty. I don't know how to describe that. Um, but every time she was on the screen, she's just extremely attention-grabbing. Maybe that's yes. the way to phrase it. So you can kind of see why uh, Nosferatu, which is not his name, Count Dracula, who is not Orlok in this, he's Dracula, um, is drawn to her. She has a very pretty neck, as he says.
1: Right, yeah, when he sees the picture yeah. in Jonathan's locket.
0: So we start the movie pretty much exactly the same. Where Jonathan is like, oh, Lucy, I love you. Here's some kittens. Let's hang out with the kittens and have a banal conversation. And then he goes to work, which apparently he works for Renfield.
1: Yeah, like the original. Like
0: in the original. And Renfield's like, ha (laughs) ha. It's like, stupid (laughs) laugh. He's like, you have to go over to Transylvania. Boy,
1: do I have the contract for you. Yeah,
0: He's like, here, go sell this house to this creepy dude. You know what? Why don't you sell him that house next to you? And Jonathan's like, you mean the one that's been abandoned for years that's basically a ruin? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. What's he going to do? Come tour it first? No, it's it's fine. And then he goes and sits. He's not
1: coming to see it.
0: He sits at this book and he points it out on a map. He's like, here it is, Transylvania, which is through the forest. Which Transylvania, the name Transylvania literally means through the forest. Interesting. So, that's a bit of trivia.
1: In retrospect, that makes sense.
0: Right. I just don't know how your employer could hand you this contract and then laugh like that in your face and then tell you you have to leave immediately and you're like, well, obviously I have to do what this man says.
1: Big commission.
0: He goes, big commission. Oh, okay. Well, like how much? Do we already agree on this? I-, I don't understand what's happening because he's immediately like, oh, okay. And then at no just...
1: point do they throw numbers out. No. And I think that was That's probably fine. intentional. Yeah.
0: It keeps it from feeling dated. But he goes back and tells Lucy, he's like, hey, you know my crazy boss? He told me I have to just take a horse over the mountains and go sell this crazy cow. All by myself. All by myself and sell this creepy count who nobody's ever heard of, the house next door. And she's like, can we take a walk on the beach first? And he's like, I guess, (laughs) sure. And so yeah, go, I'm not in
1: that much of a hurry. Right. So let's go.
0: Yeah, She goes, don't go. I have a premonition. I think if you go, terrible things will happen. And he's like, oh, have you taken any laudan- laudanum lately? <laughs> like, Honey, do you need to get your prescription filled? And so they go on this long walk on the beach, which is very Werner Herzog because they're just walking on the beach. We actually had to watch this movie in two parts because we kept falling asleep. It's not bragging. We just kept falling asleep. Remember when we were talking about Dracula 1979? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> shh, shh. Remember when we were talking about Dracula 1979, the um, Franklin Gela one? Yeah. And I told you that the reviewers at the time thought it felt rushed. And then I actually thought that made it a better modern movie yeah. because 70s pacing can be so, so slow. And, and
1: this is an exaggeration is, of 70s pacing. We
0: went from um, Dracula. The Franklin Gella Dracula to Love at First Bite, which is actually fairly peppy, again, for a 70s movie because it's a comedy. And then we got to a very 70s movie. We
1: we didn't just get a traditional pacing 70s movie. We got a Werner Herzog. Yes.
0: So you just dial that up to 11. All of it. There was so many beautifully shot, long, gorgeous scenes that just lulled you.
1: Where the characters are just walking or sitting or
0: thinking or oh my it was so it was beautiful let's put it that prose let's start with the prose it was beautiful all of the lighting was fabulous when he finally does get to the castle first he goes through some really cool scenery then he finally gets to the castle and we meet count dracula who is played by i think his name is klaus kinski Yeah, Klaus Kinski, who I gather was a uh, notorious asshole. Not just a
1: bother to have on the set.
0: Yeah, he was a lot of fuss and bother, and not just like sound and fury, but also a raging uh,
1: misogynist.
0: Yes, thank you. All I could think was masculine. I was like, that's not it. That's not what I'm trying to go for. Misogynist. Also a raging misogynist. In fact, they had one lady that they had tried to cast as Lucy who turned it down because Klaus Kinski was was going to be uh, Count Dracula and he was so notoriously um, mean to his female co-stars that she refused to act with him. Apparently the only guy he wasn't a raging asshole to was his um, makeup artist. Who was a Japanese makeup artist that he had to spend four hours a day with so it's good they got along. Because every time they put those ears on, they had to remake a new pair of ears from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. God, And he has to act with those teeth. He has those teeth the He does a decent job. He does. He does. So, you know, okay. So, Jonathan Harker arrives at the castle and we get our first look at Orlok, which is... Really interesting because, first of all, Jonathan Harker has ridden here in a hearse because everyone refuses to take him to the castle. And they keep implying that this castle is actually a ruin. And we see it as a ruin. And then when he arrives, it's a castle.
1: Right. He goes in, and like the rooms that he's spending time in are. Are fine, Fine.
0: yeah. It's supposed to be very dreamlike, surrealist,
1: mm-hmm. where
0: we don't know if the castle is real or if the castle is a dream.
1: Right. Or is he being hypnotized by Dracula? Yeah, is
0: this whole thing a manipulation by Count Dracula? Which it very well could be because he's walking up to the castle because no one will take him. And we get this interesting scene where he's talking to a coach driver and he says, can you take me to the Borgo Pass? And the guy's like, what pass? There's no road There's there. There's no path. And he's like, it was, it's right there. And he's like, no, I don't have a coach. And he's like, well, let me borrow one of your horses. What He
1: uh, he does have a coach. He does. It's right there. Yeah. Well, let me have a horse at least. As he's tending one of his four horses, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have any horses.
0: Yeah. What horses? I don't have any horses. And so the guy's like, fine. And he leaves. And then he gets picked up by an actual hearse. This was a in, in-use in hearse that they borrowed for filming. Wow! Because remember, he gets in through the back, and it's a weird. Oh yeah, it's all glass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's an actual hearse,
1: a horse drawn hearse.
0: Yeah, and they wanted to film all of this in Transylvania, but they couldn't because at the time, the leader of Transylvania wouldn't allow any movies to be filmed in Transylvania that didn't frame Vlad Tepes as a hero.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Propaganda. He didn't want Uh, any negative propaganda filmed in Transylvania.
1: Oh, or something out of East Germany. Germany. Because it
0: was a West German production, which is why it only had like 16 crew members. Yeah. Wild. 16 crew members had to wrangle 11,000 rats, but we're not to the rats yet. Um, First, what I'm trying to get at here is when we first see Klaus Kaminsky, like, bravo, well done. This is a great reveal because. Oh,
1: yeah, the lighting and the.
0: We get the the Orlock makeup, but it goes from being, I don't want to say ridiculous, but the word that's coming to mind is ridiculous. It goes from feeling ridiculous to creepy.
1: Right. Cartoonish, maybe? Yeah,
0: cartoonish. For the Murnau version, mm-hmm. whereas Herzog's interpretation is far more ghoulish.
1: Yes, he comes off as far more, like, actually menacing.
0: Yeah. And he actually speaks eloquently, which adds to the cre- the overall creepiness.
1: Right, the contrast between how he looks and how he talks. Yeah,
0: because he's like, greetings, Jonathan Harker. Welcome to my house. But of course, he has the teeth and everything the right. whole time. So he's trying to have this conversation with him, and he has these rabbit teeth. They're supposed to look like <laughs> rat teeth, but these two pointy teeth in the front.
1: Oh, is that is rat supposed to be the inspiration?
0: I guess, yeah, the two little incisors in the okay. front. I can see that. Yeah, that's why we get all the rats. And I think he calls him the king of rats at one point. But we get this interesting dinner scene, which to me is one of the more successful scenes set in the castle. Um, not for anything to do with Jonathan Harker, because at this point, I don't think he has any dialogue. All of his dialogue is done. Di- he didn't have to memorize any more script stuff. Right, it, it's just out.
1: very like, mm-hmm, yeah, just Yeah, he's sitting at the table. Grunts.
0: He's eating, he's drinking out of what looks like a vase because it's so t- <laughs> <Just>
1: tall, narrow <laughs> it's glass. So
0: tall. And we have established that there are no servants. And so either Dracula prepared all of this food. Or, it's or this an illusion. is also an illusion. Yeah.
1: Illusion slash mind manipulation.
0: Yeah. And so he's actually cutting bread and he cuts his thumb. And that's when we get our like, Oh, you blood in the air thing. And so he's like, "Oh, let me take care of it. It is an old remedy. The old remedies are the best." And he does this like like loom over him with his nails. Right, and
1: Jonathan's like, "Uh, no. I, I can he's like, nope. I can take care of this myself." Good. But then just as Dracula's turning away, he's like Psych, and he whips around and <laughs> grabs his hand. Yeah,
0: and then he chases him over to the not chases him, but Jonathan Stocks is backing him. up, stalks him over to the fireplace, and Jonathan sits down at the fireplace, and he's like, "Yes, yes, we should sit by the fireplace. We for should a take moment. a
1: break. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not available during the day. Yeah, so we need to take advantage of the night hours.
0: Yeah, it's a very Dracula is on a very tight leash. And I think it's very successful because we go from there to uh, Jonathan Jonathan falls asleep in the chair, which, of course, he does in the Murnau version, too. This is another thing where it's very shot for shot. So he falls asleep in the chair, which doesn't feel like it makes any sense. But when he wakes up, it's daytime. There's a guy outside playing very bad violin.
1: A child.
0: A child, which is supposed to, I think, add to the surrealness
1: it adds a creepy vibe for sure.
0: Yeah. It's not that we just hear bad violin music. There's actually someone there playing bad violin music. In
1: the music. alleyway.
0: I mean, the score for this movie, otherwise, is really great. They actually got Der Rheingold Orchestra to do the score. Right. So it, yeah, feels and it, it very... sounds
1: a lot like Wagner's music from uh, The Ring Cycle. Yeah. Der Ring.
0: Der Ring, de Nibel- das Nibelungen. Yeah. just such a weird (laughs) this movie was an experience let's put it that way I I didn't come away not changed I don't know how it changed me (laughs) except that I had I, I don't I don't know I don't know if there's a I don't know I don't know how to describe how I ended up feeling about this movie because it was slow and pensive to the point of being almost unwatchable but it rode that line of it was so pretty, it was hard to hate it.
1: Yeah, I think uh, visually and uh, audi, audially, <laughs> <Audily>. audibly, <laughs> audibly, it was visually and audibly beautiful. Yeah. Plot-wise,
0: mm. I mean, it's not a,
1: exciting,
0: it's, yeah. but
1: it's good.
0: It's a remake. It's not a right. reboot. Yeah.
1: And the dialogue, I really appreciated the dialogue, not not because it's uh you know, flowery and philosophical and rambling. Yeah. But because there's not any bad dialogue. That's true. There's no lines where you're like, oh, what? this character is being an idiot. Yeah. The only character that you're really like, oh, they're so stupid. It's like the crazy guy. Renfield. Renfield. Yeah.
0: I, I really liked the Lucy character. We get this cool scene after Dracula finally comes to Wismer. They keeps it in Wismer, not in London. And this is actually filmed in the Netherlands, hence all the canals. But he, And
1: the Dutch signs. Yeah.
0: On so, the buildings. Yeah. Dracula finally makes it to Wismer after killing everybody on the boat, which is my biggest. I just I can't. It's probably the hang up. My biggest hang up about the whole Dracula myth is how he kills everybody on the boat because to me it feels so short sighted and animalistic. And I right. always he's
1: supposed to be this immortal, powerful creature, yeah. and you you can't hold your appetite. F-
0: I always to want keep Dracula the ship be, running. Correctly. I always want Dracula to be smarter. And he's never smarter. Yeah. And that's just, that's what I always just get hung up on is he's not a wise character. Right. And I just want, I always want him to be, and he's not. And so, I don't know, I don't get to fix that. It's not my character. So I just avoid him. But here we are watching the third one in a row. So he's finally arrived. Lucy is brushing her hair. Jonathan has arrived back, but he's lost, he has a brain fever. So he doesn't remember anything. <laughs> and so she's kind <laughs> I, of I sad. He's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> van helsing dr van helsing is yeah. sitting there I and i said imagine him in his office bring in the next patient oh brain fever okay go on take your medicine next patient severe brain fever <laughs> now go here's your medication next patient you don't have a brain fever. Get out. Get out. Get the fuck out. <laughs> and just brain fever, brain, brain fever, fever, brain, brain fever. Because that's the only diagnosis he ever gives anybody.
0: <laughs> Look, he knows what everybody has, okay? <laughs> you? Brain fever. You? Mm. They had one called putrid throat, which I always think is really funny. Say brain fever, putrid throat, brain fever. Uh, Anyway, so Jonathan has brain fever and Count Dracula has finally circled his way around to Lucy. He has apparently murdered all of Wesmer at this this point because there's just coffins everywhere.
1: Right. Just like the original, we see lots of scenes with people carrying numerous coffins down the road. Because
0: he brings both the plague and he just goes around wantonly murdering people all night. And so she's looking in the mirror, brushing her hair, and we see his shadow come along the wall outside her door. And then the door shuts. And when it shuts, the shadow is on the inside of the door. Which
1: was a really cool effect.
0: It was very cool. And when she turns, he's actually standing beside her. And then she philosophizes him out of her room. (laughs) He's like, well, I can see you've thought a lot about this. I shall kill you later. Every line
1: of Lucy's dialogue, you could imagine Werner Herzog saying as a documentary voiceover, (laughs)
0: so much that was one of my favorite exchanges because she says jonathan has come back you did something to him and he's like yes he will die and she's like of course he will die we all die and she just
1: eventually we are all earth
0: (laughs) it's that's what i'm saying i don't i have very conflicted feelings about this movie maybe because i liked okay so What we loved most in the Frank Langella Dracula was the fact that Dracula got to be a person. He got to be relatable. He got to be lonely. He got to be charming. He got
1: to have human desires.
0: He got to be someone that we felt was an actual character and not just a construct to drive the plot forward. And then we watched Love at First Bite, where Dracula gets to be the butt of all the jokes. The straight man butt of all the jokes. So this type, this serious Dracula character, gets transposed into a comic setting. And then we watched, if possible, a more serious vampire movie than Frank Langella's Dracula, which is Nosferatu the Vampire. And it's just not my favorite interpretation, I think, because... The Count Dracula character in this one is so animalistic.
1: Right, his hunger.
0: He doesn't get is to be real of his personality. He gets this one tiny beautiful little moment. Two, actually, two little moments where you're like, ooh, you could have been a real character that we actually got to interact with and grow and use for for the fullness of being a character instead of just as this two-dimensional thing wedge that just drives the plot forward and that's when he's talking to Jonathan at the dinner table and he has that whole line about yes death is terrible but can you imagine what it would be like to be denied the opportunity to die
1: right and he reuses the line when he's talking to Lucy right. too right
0: he gets that second moment where he's like
1: like so much worse
0: can't you to be see unable to die? What it would be like from my point of view, just how hard my life might be, that I am forever the villain. Forever. I'm not just evil. I have no end in sight. I have to be this forever. And we even get that moment where he says, How far away is Wesmer from here? And Jonathan's like, four weeks, and he gets like, Oh shit, four weeks. Like, I don't know if I can travel for four weeks. Like, I have needs. I don't know how I'm going to meet them.
1: But I need to go to Wismar.
0: Yeah, but I want to go. I want to move. I want to change. I want to see the world. I want to do something other than sit around in this castle, which is a product of my own imagination. And yet he is in so many ways trapped. I think we modern viewers see vampires as like the ultimate freedom because they're framed as like, you know, party all night. Sleep all day, doesn't it feel good to be a vampire, which is the tag from Lost Boys. It's the, I'm beholden to no rules, I'm not even beholden to time. And yet, some of these, the older interpretation is, you are trapped by your nature.
1: Right, and human nature requires adhering to some set of common rules just to be part of a society. Yeah. Because humans are social creatures. And, and the, the human condition kind of requires mortality.
0: Yeah. It requires change.
1: And so for a vampire to be outside of society's rules and outside of the constraints of mortality is like the ultimate punishment. Yeah. Because you are excluded. You are excommunicated from the human race which is the worst thing that can happen to you.
0: Yeah. And I think this definitely invites that conversation. I think because we get that glimpse that Count Dracula might be as much of a victim of his condition as everyone else is. Especially when we get that really weird scene with Lucy at the end, because she real, she tries to tell Van Helsing. Because, of course, we get multiple research scenes, you know, Every vampire movie must have a research scene. And we get at least two because Jonathan gets a book and he reads it. And then Lucy gets a hold of the book and she reads it. And she realizes that the only way she's going to be able to defeat Count Dracula is if she distracts him long enough that he forgets the cock crow and gets caught by morning light. Which is how he gets defeated in the Murnau one, too. And so Lucy's like, all right. I've got this. So she traps Jonathan with some holy wafers because Jonathan is just sitting in this chair for the last 50% of the movie. Oh, she
1: also goes to the house and she has some of the the sacrament, the Eucharist. Yeah. And like blesses the dirt. Yeah. I don't know if that's supposed to be like oh, I discovered the dirt and I'm just reflexively like blessing myself to maybe so
0: he can't go back to, to it to
1: avoid it or she's actually blessing the dirt so that he can't use it anymore
0: yeah i think that's what she's trying to do
1: but then i thought it was really cool that she took a whole bunch of, like a whole stack of the wafers yeah, just and crumbled them, them and made a line which is a big like fairy yeah, uh, fairy mythology thing about like a a circle of salt or yeah whatever, and she makes this you know mystical barrier that Jonathan can't cross because he's becoming a vampire now. Apparently, 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 and he he actually is trapped. Yeah, because he needs the maid to uh, sweep it up before he can get, get out, out of later, it
0: later. Of course, because yeah. Orlock, not Orlock, sorry, Dracula shows up. I keep calling him Orlok because that's who he is in the original Norse Nosferatu. But Dracula shows up and he's like, oh, she's just laying there. And she's like covered herself in rose petals. And she's wearing this diaphanous gown. And she's lying in state on her bed. and so
1: Presenting herself as a, a midnight snack.
0: Yes, she's like, hello, I'm available for snackies. So he's like, oh, yeah, I could use some snackies. So he comes in to bite her. But she pushes him away. For a minute and he's like oh
1: Uh, she kind of like holds his arm gently not she's not quite pushing him away it's more like oh hey how are you doing
0: so then he pulls her dress up like he pulls (laughs) her her leg dress and i I was like oh no are we about to get some weird 70s nudity (laughs) we did not we paused just before the crucial moment and she ends up picking his hand up like okay oh just just too fast. High enough, and then he gently lays his clawed hand over her breast, and then uh, and she
1: presents her neck.
0: Yeah, and apparently feeds from her for I don't know hours, 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 because long enough that the sun rises.
1: Right, he even gets up to leave at one point, but she pulls him back down. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, okay." I'll get another. I mean, that's we done, that.
0: I'm just, yeah. She's like, no, no, you're not finished. And he's like, oh, okay, that's, that's fine. I'll stay. But she's
1: decided to sacrifice herself.
0: Yeah. So that he will die. Because, of course, the sun comes up. He turns to look out the window. The sun rises. And all of a sudden, his eyes are opaque and he curls up like a dead spider and falls in the corner. <laughs> he does not just poof like he does in Nosferatu. He's...
1: But, and he stays there.
0: Right. And Van Helsing comes up, runs up the stairs. And he sees Mina, or not Mina, sorry, this is Lucy. He sees Lucy on the bed, and he goes, oh, no, I should have believed you. Of course, should have believed her. She was right. And then he, meanwhile, Dracula's just curled up in the corner. So he turns around, and he's like, oh, God, it's <laughs> Dracula. And then he goes, I, I need to get a steak, or she tells him, steak. Him. A hammer and a steak. Yeah. So he runs off to get a steak. And when he comes back, we don't actually see him stake Dracula. Right, We just stay downstairs and we hear hammering sounds from upstairs. And then mm-hmm. he comes downstairs and we get this really weird exchange. There's a bloody he's, stake. He's got this bloody stake. And this man runs in and he goes, did you just... Yeah, he's like the police. Yeah. And Jonathan Harker's like, that man just staked Count Dracula. How did did everybody in there... Did everybody know Count Dracula? And they all thought that, that his ears and teeth and it, that was just fine. We weren't going to...
1: Maybe probably nobody actually saw him in person. They just just know he bought the house and he's moved in. Yeah, and like his name has spread around just by word of mouth. Oh, here's this wealthy, uh, you know, Central European man man, yeah, uh, person (laughs) (laughs) uh, who just bought this house and moved in, Mm -hmm. and and Van Helsing just killed him.
0: Yeah, and Van Helsing's like, yep, I did that. And so the guy turns to this fellow who's standing next to him and he goes, Arrest him. And he goes, I've never arrested anybody. I don't know how to do it. And he goes, Well, you just you take him to the prison. He goes, There's nobody left at the prison. To who's going him. to guard him? And he goes, Well, then get the police. They could go get him. And he's like, They're all dead. It's, uh,
1: it's It feels very like post apocalyptic. Yeah. Like these people have not adapted to. Residing in a city that is no longer a city because most of the people are dead.
0: Right. A a,
1: depopulated city.
0: I mean, there's that very weird post apocalyptic scene right before Lucy sacrifices herself where they're all dancing. Oh, yeah. They're all partying. And there's a bunch of furniture that's been moved out in the square and there's a big fire and they're all dancing and partying. And instead of hearing, the dancing music we hear this like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> or, <laughs> a and I don't know if coral it's a- rising choral theme, and then we get that weird scene where those people are sitting at the table eating and there's rats all underneath right. the table and, and they're like, their feet. this
1: is our last sacrament. For we are the last people and we've been infected with the plague. And we
0: are about to die. So this is our last meal. Come join us. And then we see them eating with rats all over the table. And then they're gone and there's just rats everywhere. And it is beholden upon me to mention at this point that they released no fewer than 11,000 rats into this poor city for this filming. And they hired an animal cruelty coordinator... And they were so cruel to the rats, the dude quit.
1: Oh, you mean the boiling them alive?
0: Boiling them to turn them gray. <laughs> to
1: turn them gray, and half of them died from it.
0: These these are not beige enough rats. I must make these rats more beige. <laughs> so they, oh my, I can't, oh my God, 11,000 rats? The effect is Is striking. It's memorable. There are a lot of rats in the second half of this movie in a lot of different locations. But I can't imagine what it must have been like for that city in the aftermath of all of that.
1: Yes, the aftermath of the filming of those scenes. Like they can't have gotten all of them because they just let them actually wander loose on the streets. Yeah. A big chunk of them probably got away. And there was probably just a surge in the rat population in this city. Yeah,
0: which maybe had a surge in the cat population. There's a lot. That's I can't even. The the implications of what that would have done to the the local wildlife. The
1: ethics of (laughs) (laughs) uh, doing that in a filming project.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially when you only have 16 people on the crew, which means you don't have a whole crew dedicated to releasing and recollecting the rats or containing the rats in any shape or form he probably released an actual plague (laughs) instead of just a pretend one but the biggest whoa twist in the whole movie is at the very end when jonathan stands up and he gets the maid to sweep up the crumbs he's like pick up these crumbs there's crumbs everywhere so the maid breaks the circle and he's able to get out, and then he's like, yes, and he picks his hands up, and his hands have the long fingernails, yep. just like Dracula did, and he has the teeth already. So, he's, he's turned fully into a converted. vampire. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. I mean, if you saw the original Nosferatu, you saw this movie, but this movie's prettier. Of course, they have access to more filming equipment. Right. Color. Uh, there's...
1: <laughs> sound
0: sound (laughs) sound yeah yeah this was a very different experience than the last two vampire movies that we watched it almost makes me want to go and watch the disco dracula ones now just to like as a palate cleanser
1: just for some contrast
0: i feel like i just sat through a philosophy lecture from a philosopher that was pretty but i didn't actually care what they said I don't know how to describe that. It's how did you feel about this movie?
1: I think I enjoyed it. It was it was a decent enough movie. Uh, the I really liked the Dracula energy. Yeah, because we had a much more active, menacing Dracula.
0: Yeah, he was the scariest Dracula. And
1: we've had. and once after he gets to Wismar and kind of establishes himself in the house, we get a few scenes of. Oh, here's what dra- here's how Dracula acts when he's in a big populated city. He just literally like frolics around a like the town square for a little while. <laughs> That's and... one whole
0: like five minute long scene of him just running in circles around this.
1: <laughs> with his arms out like,
0: arms "Woo, I'm an airplane!" <laughs>
1: <laughs> and yeah, uh, it was wild. And then um, Jonathan at the end, he kind of. Frolics off, uh, implying that he survives. <laughs> Perhaps
0: they can only frolic. Maybe like they the, only frolic, Like yeah. the Chinese vampires that have to hop. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. I don't think I could sit through this movie a second time to give you a better description of how I felt about this movie. I if think... I was
1: to watch this again, we would have to fast forward through parts.
0: Yeah, because there were definitely some scenes where it just felt so pensive. And I think what really made the movie bearable was our ongoing commentary <laughs> through the whole thing. I don't think I could have sat and watched this alone. There's the scene where he's running around in the in the square and so I was going, doo, 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 like singing, like he was singing when he was running yeah, around. Yeah, then he goes
1: like slightly off frame yeah, or he blends into the background at least. And then he comes back out and does another does loop. Does
0: another loop. And then there's the scene where he gets to the castle where Jonathan gets to the castle and we were making cracks about <laughs> is it the castle is the castle in front of you or is the castle inside you everything was allegorical the castle's allegorical that's allegorical and then we saw the slow motion bat which shows up occasionally and apparently that's not they just wholesale lifted that from a documentary they didn't film it for this
1: <laughs> they just sampled they
0: just sampled it yeah. put it in there
1: was it a Werner Herzog documentary i have no idea <laughs> i don't was know was he doing documentaries I yet
0: yeah I couldn't even find out. I don't, uh, I part of me wants to say, let's do a whole Werner Herzog just like deep dive as a what is going on in that man. Like, obviously, this he, he's got that um, Jodorowsky energy that I'm yeah. doing this for the art energy. Yes. Um, but at the same time, I feel like Jodorowsky would always present you with something that was so what the actual fuck. That it kept you engaged, whereas Werner Herzog is leaving so much up to what you bring to the screen mm-hmm. that if you're bringing nothing, like if it's 11 o'clock at night and you're cracked out from being with your kids all day and you're trying to sit and watch this and you've got nothing to give, you get, you. get there's nothing to get. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'd rather watch a guy shit gold than watch somebody else run down the beach for 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was a Jodorowsky reference. It was a Holy Mountain that he does. The, yes, yeah, shit's gold. Um, I don't know. It really made me wonder: Am I a critical movie watcher? In the, like, not a critical like, I critique things, but in that I am capable of watching these things and analyzing to myself how I like and don't like things,
1: like in an objective way.
0: Yeah, and or am I just opinionated? Because those things are two different you, you things. You can be both. You can be both. And I think that that um, is just a side effect of watching a Werner Herzog movie. You're like, am I smart enough to get this movie? I think that's the question you always walk away with. Is it me or is it him? Which one of us didn't get it? And I don't know. I don't know. You know, if you didn't watch this and you just listened to our critique of it, don't do that. Go back and watch it because I feel like this is a movie you should experience once. Do you need to experience this movie more than once? Nah, I don't maybe, think you do. Maybe
1: put it at like 1.5 speed.
0: <laughs> put it in something where, like QuickTime where you can set it to play a little faster. Yeah, put it in something like QuickTime where you can be like, uh, play this at 1.25. <laughs> You'll be fine. You're not going to miss any of the dialogue. There's actually very little dialogue, which is ironic considering it's a remake of a silent film. The music is stunning. Uh, there's, the there's lighting is stunning. There's quite a number of scenes
1: where there's no dialogue. Yeah. And I was thinking, that's probably so they didn't have to refilm it for the English and German versions.
0: Yeah, that's possible. That's also probably a nod to the original. Yeah. Yeah, because some of these scenes are literally shot for shot.
1: We do not get the. Pivot straight out of the coffin scene. I
0: know. I was a little bummed. Because uh, we get all the way to the getting to the port in Varna. And we're getting his black coffins loaded onto the ship in Varna. And actually, the guy who gets his toe bitten by the rat. Mm-hmm. There's a fellow who sticks his foot in to shoot, his shoot a rat. In? He gets his toe. It's his toe. Okay. Bitten by a rat. That's Werner Herzog. Oh. <laughs> he put himself in the movie. He's the guy who gets bit by the rat. But Is
1: is that a metaphor?
0: It's allegorical. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Werner Herzog gets bitten by his own creation.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely metaphorical. And so we get the scene where the guy is writing in the log, just like we do in the silent movie. But then we don't get the cool Orlok like or on Dracula the sh- on the
1: ship. Somebody's investigating the chests.
0: Yeah, the and crates, which is weird because it's the most iconic scene to me in Nosferatu. Is the the guy cracks open the coffin and Orlock does the creepy just straight from laying down to sitting up it's probably mm-hmm. it's definitely the most spoofed. Oh yeah um, moment and yet it's not in there. We just get everybody's dying it's just me and the first mate and then we get the captain tying himself to the wheel and then Dracula from like three quarter profile from below yep. and that's it yeah
1: yeah even the silhouette scene. We don't get it in Orlock's castle. Yeah. We get it outside of the Harker household when Dracula is like walking up to the building to sneak into Lucy's room. Yeah. We get his silhouette with like all the claws out on the side of the building.
0: Right. We also and get it, him oh, it actually, in the window.
1: It actually, his shadow expands to cover the entire side of the building.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's is what that I a saying. metaphor? It's allegorical. But literally the lighting in this was phenomenal. There's that scene where they're in the castle, and every time it cuts to Orlock, you don't see anything but his head.
1: You mean Dracula?
0: Oh God. Dracula. Every time we cut to Dracula, you see nothing but his head.
1: Right, just like floating in darkness.
0: Yeah. And there's another one where he's walking down a hallway, and as he gets closer. The, the lighting shifts, shifts from behind him to just his face. Right, it's so, coming
1: in slightly from the side. Yeah,
0: so you end up seeing his face and you lose sight of the tunnel behind him. Right. There's some really cool lighting tricks. It's worth seeing for the cinematography. It's worth seeing once. I think if I had to rank the three vampire movies from 1979 that we've watched so far, Frank Langella's Dracula is still top of the list.
1: As far as fun to watch,
0: yeah, um, or no, rewatchability. fun to watch would be Love at First Bite. Okay, for Dracula adaptation, I'd have to say it's Franklin Gallows Dracula.
1: Yeah, still, just because he's actually a person.
0: Yeah, because he, you can sympathize with the character, and it's a gothic romance. There's nothing romantic about the Dracula in Nosferatu, the Vampire. Which Nosferatu yeah. is just the word for vampire. So it's vampire the vampire. But that's fine. Um, he, He's not... Just
1: like uh, Transylvania through the woods. Yeah,
0: exactly. There's nothing romantic about him. There's nothing human enough about him that he makes for a dynamic villain. He's like a force of nature. He's like a hurricane or a tornado or something. He's a thing that is afflicted upon the city. And it doesn't feel malevolent because it doesn't feel intentional.
1: Right. It's not... It's just his nature. Yeah. It's not that he's... His goal is to cause suffering and he, like... Gets pleasure from that. Right. It's he's just being what he is. He's
0: like a rat. He's just doing what he he does because he's a rat.
1: Right. You don't hate the lion for eating the gazelle.
0: Right. And that's why I think that the Frank Langella one appeals so much to me is because you get the sense that every time he does something, it's an intentional choice. So when he does do evil shit, he's intentionally doing – he's choosing the evil shit. And that makes him a more – menacing character because it's intentional it's not just like collateral damage of existence for this creature that feeds on human blood or whatever coming up next is nocturna which is another disco vampire i am so excited (laughs) this is the one with the dracula's daughter comes to los angeles i think to be in the disco scene anyway i'm excited this is going to be another 180 how wild that there's all these vampire movies that came out this year and they are all so different so far i'm interested to find out if nocturna is similar to love at first bite
1: i wonder if they were all this timely because of the rights expiring
0: That is an excellent point, Matthew. It's very likely that that is why there's so many adaptations of Dracula.
1: There was probably a whole bunch of people that wanted to make a Dracula movie. Yeah. And they're like, no, I don't want to touch this because it still has like a copyright or whatever. Yeah. And then, oh... The rights expired. Oh. I can find. I've had this sitting on my shelf for years. I've been wanting to make this my entire, you know, director career, whatever. Now I can get that down off the shelf, and everybody got their Dracula projects off the shelf. Yep. at the same time, it and was like Winnie filming. the
0: Pooh this year.
1: Yep, Winnie the Pooh without the red shirt.
0: Without the red shirt. Yeah, just the general character, Winnie the Pooh. Hmm. Mm -hmm. That is a very good point. Thank you for making that excellent connection. Which leads
1: into some commentary about how copyright can stifle creativity in a very impactful way.
0: Yeah, it really can. I can see the point of copyright, though. Um, But copyright's good for, what, 100 years? 75 years?
1: Uh, It depends on when the copyright started. Yeah. And the... As like the copyright law changes, it kind of just keeps getting extended. But I think it's over a hundred years now.
0: Yeah, I mean, is- yeah, but it also drives creativity in that it restricts you. You can't res- you can't regurgitate the same stories over and over right. again. Right. So it both benefits and retracts from. I mean, that's why Disney's doing all the live action remakes right now.
1: Right to refresh.
0: They're refreshing their copyrights. Yeah. That's why they're making. They're remaking, not necessarily rebooting, because then they're refreshing their copyright right, on that story. The
1: All the names are the same. All of the appearances are similar enough that if you were to do like a an art version of like, are they doing, I wonder if they're doing like Cinderella or something.
0: They already did Cinderella.
1: They just redid Cinderella? They
0: redid Cinderella. They've I redone- Oh my gosh, a whole bunch of them. I know we don't keep up, but that's what they're doing is they're literally going through their catalog one at a time and right. redoing them all. Because you get to keep the copyright if you make a new movie you, about it. You get it.
1: to restart the restart copyright the date.
0: Yep. Yep. So they don't care if you don't like it, guys. It's not the point. It's So they can keep making money on that storyline. And the characters. All it's right. all
1: about the merchandising. It's all about the
0: merchandising. Which is fine. It's okay to make money. We're not saying anybody can't make money. You just have to ask yourself, is that all you're in it for? And if you are, that's fine too. Just realize that there's give and, give and take. Yeah. Give and take. All right. I guess we'll leave it there because now we have to watch a disco vampire movie. Matt looks excited. Coming He's got soon. got a gleam in his eye. <laughs>
1: So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too.
0: Oh, boy, were they? I think that's a very good description of this movie we just watched. (laughs) So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends.
1: Bye. Bye.